It's great to be with you. Um, by the way, my wife told me to roll up my sleeves because it's going to make me look younger. So I've got to do that. And I didn't get to wear my suspenders, straps as my great-granddaughter because Cheeky says that would make me look younger. So, but I'm still old. Uh, for those of you who are online, it's uh, good to have you join us. Uh, let me suggest to you, uh, those of you who are online, come join us. Because there's, hopefully you get something out of God's word while you're watching at home. But there's nothing like being with a body of believers. There's nothing like being here to get to interact with each other and worship together. Um, tomorrow is Labor Day. And basically, we're going to do this morning in about three different parts. I'm going to talk about Labor Day for a few minutes. Then we're going into the bigger, better, whatever it's called. Anyway, and um, then we're going to end the service gathering around the Lord's table to celebrate what he's done for us. So, uh, over the years, I have uh, used a poem that was given to me by the family of the author. And I have looked for it online and looked for it online, and I have not found it. So for many years, I recited this from memory. But I don't care how much I roll up my sleeves, I can't get young enough to remember it. So I'm going to read it to you. It's called Man and Machine. The factory engine wouldn't start, and so they took the thing apart to look for flaws. They searched it down from top to base, examined flange and gear and case to find the cause. Something's broken, they declared, and what it is must be repaired. Nearby, a drowsy workman stood, and someone muttered, He's no good, just let him go. They didn't search his mind and heart the cause to know. Nobody thought to ask him why there was no luster in his eye. But had they looked into the gloom of what he called a sitting room, they would have found a woman frail, tubercular, and drawn who was his wife. When engines in a factory stop, we search the thing from base to top. But when man breaks, we seldom call, take a look to see what makes his mistakes. That's Man and Machine by Edgar Guest. Now, there's another, there's a couple people I'd like to recognize, or groups. One of them is the people in this church who you never see. Or you see as we fellowship, but basically there's the guys in the sound booth. There's the worship team that comes an hour early. There's Leroy who handles, hands out bulletins. There is, there is all kinds of people who really, really do make this place run. Amy's always in the wings. We've got the people teaching kids. So that's a great people that we ought to recognize that labor to serve our Lord. So how about a hand for that team? Threw away page two. Now, there's another group of people that I don't know if you ever think about this, but that's the people who, when we go into a restaurant, wait the tables, man or woman. 
And several years ago, Cheeky and I decided, let's get to know them a little better. And one of the things we do, uh, quite often they have something uh, uh, on their lapel or something that says, uh, gives their name. And if not, we ask them, what's your name? And we'll say the lady's name is, is, is Jody. And we say, Jody, we ask the blessing when you bring us our food. We thank the Lord for what he gives to us. We thank the Lord for you. Jody, do you have anything that you can give, tell us that we can pray for you about? And I thought I ought to give you some of the reactions. This is one of the neatest things that happens to us. The first, several years ago, the first, the young man said, well, I'm getting married next week or next month. Would you pray for me and my bride that God will bless our home? Pretty neat, huh? There's a young man that we asked, and he said, his answer was, I'm finishing my last year of engineering school. And would you pray that I will study hard and get good results? We asked a lady, and we said, what about you? And she says, oh, would you pray for my back? I have been waiting tables for 11 years, and my back hurts so badly for all 11 years, and I don't know what to do about it. I don't think I can find another job. We prayed for her. There's another young man we prayed for, and he kind of looked around. He says, you know, times are pretty good. I guess there's nothing to pray for. But the one that really rang our bell, we asked this young man, we were in Rochester, and he said, well, would you pray that my visa comes through? Well, sure, tell us about it. And he said, well, I'm Jewish, and I came to know Christ a number of years ago, and I'm part of Jews for Jesus. And of course, I want to go back to Israel and tell people about Jesus. But he said, there's no way I can put that on a visa. They'll never let me in. So I came to Rochester, and I was trained to work with little kids who come to the pediatrics ward, the kids that are hurting, and, and the kids that are scared, and so on. And he said, I was taught and certified to work with these kids. And he said, I also spend Sunday in a church that I work with little kids. And he said, Mayo now has discontinued that program, but they certified me and pray that I get my visa so I can go to Israel where Jesus walked and tell them about Jesus. What a way. What a laborer group. So when you see your waiter or waitress next time, you might want to ask to pray for them. Now, let's see. Where does that go? You got a card when you came in. If not, there should be one at the door. And I'll tell you what that's for in a minute. Ah, here it is. Remember our series, The Bigger, Better Offer and focusing us on our understanding and consciously avoiding the things that God hates. We're using Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 as the foundation. Is that up on the screen? Next slide, please. 
you got to see it to know, understand. Oh, I guess I missed it. But anyway, there are six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Well, we had this printed. It's on good, heavy paper. And I suggest that you take that home and put it on your refrigerator and remind yourself every once in a while about what God hates. We always think about his great love and, and the gift of Jesus Christ and his grace. But, you know, there's things that in Proverbs it tells us what God hates. So, at any rate, grab one if you don't have one already. Take it at home. Put it on your refrigerator so that each day you can take a look. Now, the one we're dealing with today is feel, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Actually, the title of the topic is Watch Your Step. Now, for those of you who are Christ followers, as well as those of you who don't identify as Christians but strive to be good, caring, fair, loving, law-abiding individuals, it's easy to say that this is not one of the things that God has to worry about. I don't run after evil. I don't wake up in the morning planning with the motive of gossiping about my neighbor or padding my expense account or pressuring the hockey coach about starting my daughter instead of that younger kid that will have her turn next year or getting even with my brother-in-law who wrecked my weed whacker or getting even with a guy at work who used my idea to get ahead or I don't focus on evil and I sure don't run after it even in God's sight. Let's set the stage. Hopefully you'll remember the sermon series we just finished on the book of Nehemiah. Recall how Nehemiah arrived on the scene to find the heartbreaking rubble of the devastated city of Jerusalem. The walls and God's holy temple had been destroyed by Israel's enemies generations before, but Nehemiah led the down and outers from scattered villages from the surrounding territories to restore the wall. Remember, that wall was two and a half miles long, 39 feet high, and eight feet thick. And the temple had also been destroyed. And it was restored in 56 days. God did a miracle. Well, his people got together and there was a great celebration. So Nehemiah had to come to the end of his leadership assignment to get it done and return to his regular job in a faraway country. While he was gone, the people of Jerusalem quickly forgot what God had done. After all, now they had a restored city to live in and a comfortable lifestyle. Besides, they again had a temple to worship in. Life couldn't be better. Affluence reigned. And a few years later, Nehemiah showed up. He saw evil all around that had crept into those people who at one time witnessed such a marvelous miracle. Satan had used what I call culture creep to take the people back into the sinful ways of worshiping idols and even corrupting the temple itself with ungodly priests just like before that miraculous restoration. 
before shaking our heads and thinking how stupid those people were way back in the Old Testament, here is a more recent happening as described in Moody's Today in the Word. In the mid-1630s, thousands of Puritans made their way to New England. They built homes, established government, and founded churches. Quite quickly, though, they recognized the need to train the next generation of clergy. So in September of 1636, classes were first held at New College in Newtown, Massachusetts. In 1639, the school was renamed Harvard College in, our, in honor of the English minister John Harvard. Their original model, Turn for Christ, Truth for Christ, and the Church. Current Harvard professor Stephen Shoemaker wrote in his dissertation recently on the religious history of the university that Harvard is no longer known as a training home for clergy. Before you dismiss that as history and shake your head and point your finger, here's an update from the news in the last few weeks. Harvard appoints an atheist to be their next chaplain. Culture creep? Did that happen all at once? Now, that is something to get angry and evil about and think evil thoughts. We could move quickly, flood our social media with blasts of condemnation, Make even, maybe, might even put a video clip on YouTube. I have to get a haircut so I look good and add a few extra lines to my face to show that I'm really ticked. This service is live, so maybe we should shout and some signs should be waved. No, this is not a message about the slippery slope toward evil steps we can agonize over in higher education or politics or business ethics or wars or whatever the talking faces on TV say. We as believers, or at least good people, are smarter than falling into that trap, right? Or are we? Might Satan be so subtle that we don't realize he's at work in our personal lives? Could the evolving culture of the world take our eyes off of Christ by creeping up on us? God wrote about it in his word often, especially addressed it to those who followed. For instance, in Galatians 5, 7, it says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and cut you, kept you from obeying the truth? In Galatians 5, 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Or Isaiah 40, 30, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. That leads me into a story about stumbling and falling that over all my years, I'll never forget. In fact, there are times when I, from time to time, dream about it, and I wake up in a cold sweat. I went to the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology in Rapid City, South Dakota. That's sort of right between the Badlands and... Uh, the Black Hills. The Black Hills are honeycombed with caves, over 140 miles of caves underground. Some of you may have been to Wind Cave. Well, and I'm a mathematician, my degree is in mathematics, but the math department, we had four guys and a professor that loved to find caves and explore them. Do you know what the name of that's called? A spelunker. Now, there was a geology department, but they weren't involved. Metallurgy department, they weren't. So we explored caves. Well, 
somebody got digging around in the library and found a, somebody's diary or something in the late 1800s. And there was a rancher whose horse stepped in a hole and broke its leg, and the rancher recorded that it was a depression, and he cleared it away a bit, and it was a hole down into a cave, so he covered it up. Well, we figured out through a number of things, the ranch, where it was, and so on, we found that depression. We cleared away the debris. debris. And by the way, the five of us, plus Cheeky and, and one of the guy's wife who was pregnant, I don't know if she was going to crawl in the cave or not, but anyway, we decided... We've cleared it away, and here's this hole in caving that's called a chimney. And you'll never believe this, but I had recently been married, and at that age, at that, when I was young, I was 125 pounds, 5 foot 10, and I was the skinniest one to go down. Well, the Jeep had on the front of it a winch and about 150 feet of rope. So we built, built something for uh, uh, me to ride on, a board and a triangle, and I could hang on to this, and they lowered me down the chimney. Now, I had a miner's hat on, and the light was on. I had a flashlight on my shoulder, or excuse me, on my hip, and I went down. And we had the signals worked out. There weren't, uh, there weren't cell phones, and they'd lower me, and I'd say, okay, and they'd give me a little more slack, and I would go down, and the hole was probably about that big around. And it was jagged and rocks and so on, and I'm feeling my way, and give me more rope, and I'd come down, and give me more rope, and I'd get, and, well, are you down there, Tom? And I said, I don't know, and they said, we played out about 55 feet of rope so far. You're down there quite a ways. Well, can't find anything. Finally, I got my foot on solid ground. Hey, I found the bottom. They said, Tom, that's 60, 65 feet down there. I says, well, let me explore around a little, and then I'll send the rope up. And fortunately, I was hanging on to the rope, and I took a step. Now, remember, the only light going, and all I could see was nothing, because I was out of the chimney, and I took a step off into eternity. And I pulled back, and I finally... And then I got my flashlight, and I started to show around. And what had happened over the years, debris had come down the hall, and there was about a 20-foot pile. And one side of it had caved away, and I had stepped off into nothing. Well, I got my foot on the ground. I said, okay, play out a little rope. I'm going to go down the side of this. And finally, another 20 feet down, I found solid ground. I checked around. I said, hey, you got to see this, guys. This is big. I can't even see the ceiling. Flashlight. Hey, there's stalactites up there. And man, there's stalagmites around here, and there's big balls of crystal that have been formed over the years. Next guy down, bring my camera. And they brought the gear down, and I have those photos yet on two and a quarter by two and a quarter slides. And aside, I sent that to National Geographic, and they really liked them, but they didn't publish them. At any rate, for instance, one of the big crystal balls 
You could hold a flashlight on one side, and through that rock, you could see the light. The room that we explored was bigger than probably four or five times bigger than this room and higher than this ceiling. It was huge. And, of course, in, in cave crawling, you realize that there's water that comes in for various places, and there are tunnels and so on, and you go through. So we could go off of that, but we were down there for a couple of hours. By the way, neither of the ladies would come down. Cheeky, why didn't you come down? It was beautiful down there. Anyway, I was on solid ground. It really snuck up on me. What might be the signposts of slipping and sliding along with the creeping culture? If we had time, we could look into several critical areas of our personal lives because that is where the creep, and you can spell that both ways, but one of the creeps is Satan, and the other creep is that it comes on you slowly and we don't recognize it because that creep is more subtle. Work and careers, home and family, Leisure, school, and sometimes even church. But I decided to pick one that actually intersects with most of all of them. That is true for all of us, home and family. I'm going to do that in the form of a few questions you might ponder. Note, the answers to these questions are not evils in themselves, but just might alert us to watch our step. One, have you found it more convenient to watch the Highlands live than to actually participate in morning worship and enjoy togetherness with other believers in person? Pretty easy to stay at home. Don't even have to get out of your pajamas. Two, has the ability to view the Highlands Sunday service just any time opened up more flexibility, we'll call it, to planning leisure activities for the weekend? Three, when facing family schedule and or financial compromises between God's ways or the world's ways, and you know what those are in your life, when you have to make decisions about financial things, about choices, do you, along with other family members, for those of you who are married, do you with your spouse sit down or kneel down and pray about a major decision that you are having to make before you act. Four, do you spend more time viewing me social media, i.e. YouTube, than viewing God's Word? What would your kids say about the time you spend on your phone? And aside, it wasn't long ago, I saw a lady get out of a car at the grocery store. She was on her phone, probably didn't get on it till she'd gotten out of the car. And a little kid, I'm not good at judging, but I'd say cheeky taught second grader, so he's about a second grader, I figure, what, seven years old or something. And he was tagging you along, and he was, mommy, mommy, and she was on the phone. She finally walked into the store, hadn't paid a bit of attention to that kid. In the store, I saw her shopping talking on the phone, and the little kid, mommy, mommy. Interesting statistics. We talk about kids on the phone, right? The average, believe it or not, is four and a half hours a day. Do you know it's almost that high for adults at home? 
Mel said. Here's a couple of examples of what uh, really have Cheeky and me ticked off. Constraints at Mayo Clinic music. For years, ever since I worked there and started there as an IBMer in 1965, there is in an atrium a grand piano. And at Christmas time, kids come in and care. Church choirs come in and sing Christmas carols. Sometimes there's people at that piano playing, and it echoes up through the, the uh, Gonda building now. And in fact, most of the time, somebody's playing, you know, show tunes, or believe it or not, praise songs, or hymns. People stand around and sing. Uh, uh, Cheeky, when she, the piano's open, she goes and plays it, How Great Thou Art. And you'd be surprised how many people gather around to sing How Great Thou Art. Due to so many complaints, there aren't going to be any Christmas songs anymore. Are you ticked? I am. Now, no Bibles in hotels. First thing Cheeky does when we go into a hotel room is open the door and says, well, there's no Gideon Bibles in here. I think we're going to strategize about that one, though. We're going to carry New Testaments and put them in ourselves. Youth sports tournaments totally wipe out any church involvement on weekends. We got a grandson, 15 years old. He's at a tournament, started Friday and going to be through Monday. Really helps with his church attendance and participating with other kids in church. Days set aside for prayers around September 11 horror. Do you remember? Some, most of you are not old enough. But that's 20 years ago in a couple days. 20 years ago, when the towers went down on September 11, there was a national call for prayer. People flooded the churches for several weeks, and they said they tracked it, and the attendance went down then. But people all over this country went into the houses of prayer and prayed for our country. Are you aware that with COVID, as terrible as this epidemic, under both administrations, there's been no call for prayer nationally? Has it crept in on us? Our grandkids are on the phone watching videos while we sit with them at dinner, visiting with the family. So then what, we, what do we do to avoid the things God hates as a family? Remember, remember the cave crawling experience I had a couple of years ago? One, I look at the man at the top by the winch, playing out the rope, and giving me security when it gets tight for me as God himself. I see the rope that I hung on to as the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He died to save us. I see the team who, who worked to get me down there as my church family, the body of Christ, who are with me at every turn as I need rope and they tighten it, who, who come to me honestly and say, Tom, we've been watching you. And, and you know, there's some things in your life we're worried about. There's some things in your life that we really delight in. Remember what guided my steps. 
the light on my hat and the light in my hand. Help me watch my steps. And that's what Scripture does. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I won't commit those things that God says in Proverbs he hates. Joshua in the Old Testament drove a stake in the ground about his family when he said, Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. And on that card you have, there's some blanks. And in the next, maybe around the dinner table today, think about the things that are idols in your life that just might be distracting you from staying true to Jesus. Subtle things that Satan has creeped in. And then Joshua finished and he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I challenge you. In a movie years ago, I heard about Double Dog Dare, to prayerfully sit together as a family and fill in the blanks. Try to identify that, those things that have subtly crept in the way, that, the way of your love for God. They may th be things that are inherently good, but have to become idols in your Lord's eyes. Can I be vulnerable for a minute? As I look at my life, what crept into it and got in the way of me focusing on Jesus Christ, my profession. I loved to work. I loved what I did. I loved how I helped my clients. I loved how I helped my people. I was addicted. My influence so I could provide so many creature comforts for my family. That was my reasoning. I working hard so I could provide for my family. My wife. You want to know something? She's the second most precious thing in my life is my wife, Jesus. It's hard for me. In fact, I used to use a password, cheeky is number one. I've changed that. God is number one. My kids' performance and behavior, oh, they got to be good so that I look good. My reputation... And the list goes on. Goodness, I haven't even started on the stuff that have captured my heart. Car I drive. The house he's loaned me to live in. The size of my TV. The latest uh, handheld computer called a phone that I want to get. Lord, forgive me for turning your blessings into my idols. Here's God's word to help us see and avoid the culture creep that can subtly cause us to run after evil. Proverbs 4, 10 to 12 says, Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. In Psalm 19, 32, it says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Now, God has set our heart free, and it isn't set free to slip into the things that God hates. A couple of evenings ago, Tom Jr. asked me to join him in his garage as he worked on his big mower. Don't fool yourself. I don't lift a crank or wrench anymore. 
he sets us up a, sets up a chair beside his work, and I coach. When he's, the spindles had been replaced and the throttle turned down so our grandson wouldn't mow so fast that it never even cut the grass, Tom took a spin across the spacious yard. When he got back, he asked me to come take a look. Grass was really cut well. But what he wanted me to see, and he says, Dad, see how perfectly straight that line is for 75 yards. You taught me to pick something at the other end and take my and not take my eyes off of it and drive to it. That quickly turned us into a discussion about how to, how to walk and run a straight path in our lives. How do we avoid getting caught up in the idols of this world and rushing after evil? Forgive me, I'm as old. I'm old. But it reminds me of an old song. And yes, yeah, I'm asking you to indulge an old man. The song goes like this. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim when you look into his glory and grace. That's a fitting entrance to our time together around the Lord's Supper. When we pause to celebrate God's gift of his son who gave his life on the cross so that we may set free from the penalty of eternal life. Now, before you participate, there are two requirements for you to take communion. That you have received Jesus Christ into your life as your personal savior. And the second is that you have a grudge or hard feelings against another person. Put down the bread in the cup and go make it right. Then come back and share at his table. God's word says, I've got it in my Bible, but I can read it easier here, but it's out of God's word. Matthew 26 while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in 1 Corinthians 11 is a very famous passage. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then a couple verses later, a verse later, it says, but a man, and I think woman, must examine himself, and in so doing, it do it before he eats bread and drinks a cup. Take a few moments. Just examine yourself before the Lord. Are there things you should confess? Are there things you should ask him 
to lead and care for in your life? Are there things that, that you need to ask him to say, hey, Lord, these are becoming, they've crept in as things that I think more of and more often of than you. So examine yourselves. And then, my cup is down there, and I'm really, it's not fun with these. It seems to lose part of it. Oh, thank you so much. And that's, take the little piece whenever, after you've bowed your head and examined yourself, then prayerfully think about the gift that Christ did in his life on that terrible cross, that beloved cross that he gave for us so that we may have life eternal. And then search your life, and then at your leisure, take the bread, and then drink the cup, and our worship team will end the service. God bless you all. Thanks for being so kind to listen so well.